The Positive Pause is a motivational-minded podcast covering topics women want to know about as they journey to and through menopause, focusing on subjects that impact women's health and healthy aging, including what it means to age healthfully. The Positive Pause features experts and influencers from a variety of industries and specialties. The information and opinions expressed on The Positive Pause are not intended to replace the services of trained professionals or to provide specific medical advice. To see the National Menopause Foundation's full medical disclaimer, please visit nationalmenopausefoundation.org. Welcome to The Positive Pause. I'm Claire Gill, founder of the National Menopause Foundation. Joining me for this episode is Mira Bogle. Mira runs a successful eight-week guided menopause program. She also does training and classes and advocating around menopause throughout the UK and around the globe. She is hugely passionate about raising awareness of menopause, especially within the South Asian communities, where it is often not spoken about openly. She has contributed to publications such as Fit and Well, Stella, Yahoo, Red and Prima, sharing her menopause journey along with expert guidance to support women who are at the beginning of their menopause journey. Thank you for joining me today, Mira. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Claire. It's lovely to be here. It's really great. I know we've been talking via email back and forth, so it's nice to be able to get together for this podcast and introduce you to our listeners as well. So let's start with a little bit about your background in general and what led you to focus on menopause as one of those areas that you wanted to support training and advocacy. Yeah, you know, Claire, if anybody had said to me 10 years ago that I would be referred to as a menopause expert or I would be spending quite a bit of my life supporting women, but also being part of uh, government policy to create policy and, and charitable work all around menopause, I would have probably laughed and said, absolutely no way. <laughs> yeah. So it is, it is a surprise for me too. But, you know, I suppose my menopause journey is one that has, that has led me here. But I still have a nursery business, so I'm in childcare. I have a nursery business. That, was my, that still is my main thing that I do. And it was really only because of my own personal journey, which really was a struggle. And I didn't get the help I wanted. I couldn't find the help I wanted or needed. And I was being dismissed at every turn that I thought to myself, okay, no, you know, this has got to change for the people around me. And I don't want any other woman to, to feel this way. But it was also actually the lack of knowledge and awareness that other people had right. that led to this. And then actually finding that people were saying to me, Mira, you look like you're managing really well, you know, and I'm like, okay, on the outside, I probably do. On the inside, it's, a, it's pretty <laughs> terrible. But actually, the things that I had done to help manage my symptoms, I actually realized were able to help others. And that kind of led me to realizing that actually, you know, there is so much that we can do to support ourselves during this yeah. time. So let's talk a little bit about that. What are some of the things that you started doing that you now encourage other women to do as they journey to and through menopause? The first thing that I advocate is choice. This is a time where a lot of perimenopause is a time when a lot of women feel like they're losing control 
They don't know who they are. They don't recognize themselves. There are so many things going on. And that's only if they actually recognize the symptoms, you know, so they've got to put the pieces together first, or as I say, join the dots and then realize, right, I'm actually in perimenopause. And then things start to make sense, but it still is a time where you lose control. So I think for me, getting a little bit of control back was super important. And because I wasn't really being heard when I went to the medical practitioners, I was being told I was too young. So I started my menopause, perimenopause. If I look back now, I started my perimenopause journey in my late 30s. And now we know with a little bit more research that actually for Indian women, Asian women, your menopause journey is different. So ethnicity mm -hmm. matters within menopause, right? So back then, of course, I was way too young. No, you're too young. I was being dismissed. And the only thing that I could really look to was myself. What am I doing in my own life? What can I do to get some control back? And, you know, being of Asian, you know, being an Indian, we focus on food. Our whole lives focus on food. We're always thinking about the next meal while we're eating the same meal. And so I started to look at food and how food was making me feel. And then I also... I'm quite a fit, active person, always have been. I love, I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie, actually. And I had to then look at my exercise. How was my exercise actually making me feel? And what I found was that everything that I was doing was almost working against me. Everything mm. that I had known was not something that was working anymore. And, and that was a really frightening place to be, you know, because like, oh, hold on a minute. I eat this all the time. Suddenly I'm eating this and I feel really bloated or lethargic, or, yeah. but I'm used to running and I love half marathons. But actually every time I run, I, but days afterwards I feel unwell and I've got hip problems and I feel more achy. What on earth is happening? So I really had to stop and take a really good look and evaluate what I was doing in my lifestyle and my food and what impact that was happening, having on me and my symptoms. Yeah. That's so important. Like you said, we, first of all, around the globe, we know nothing about menopause generally until we enter it. And then again, where do you find the support, which is obviously why we launched the National Menopause Foundation here. But also it's so individual that your symptoms and my symptoms are very different. I also find it fascinating that our ethnicity, in addition to our actually impacts us as far as how we experience those menopausal symptoms. And then we get into all the cultural things. So, you know, a topic of, of our talk today, I really wanted to kind of focus a little bit on those cultural aspects of menopause and you finding the voice to sort of speak about it within your community is huge. And I know that's a lot to take on, but talk to us a little bit more about how have you found it to be within the South Asian community? How does the community normally approach menopause and are you seeing it changing at all? Super interesting question. And I would start from a place of, yeah, I do have a voice and I've always been that person that has, you know, I've never really been able to fit into little holes and categories and you just, I just don't, you know, I was divorced. I had two children. All of this was new. It was all going against the grain. And I always have done. And I never really understood perhaps why. But I, I kind of feel like I found myself now. I feel like a little bit more about myself that I actually know I need to use my voice. And that's maybe why I was given it. So when I 
first started to try and talk about it, I was hushed quite a lot. I didn't mm. really have anybody to talk to within my own community at all. So uh, elderly aunts or anybody like that, maybe even friends, not really. And and when I did go to my mum, it was very much a case of, well, actually, it's just something that happens. You just kind of get on with it. I don't, it, I don't remember it. I don't, so it was very dismissed. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was dismissed because she was uh, sort of pushing me away or doing anything. But I think genuinely she would not have known the symptoms and connected it to what she was experiencing. So I said to her, right. she just said, well, one morning I woke up and I didn't have a period and end. That was it. I was like, wow, okay, you're that one <laughs> in four. You're that one in four rare person that, it, you know, doesn't get impacted by perimenopause. And, you know, she, she was a little bit kind of surprised at my experience of my journey and what was happening to me. So obviously blaming it on everything, you know, you're too stressed out, you're working too hard, all of those things. Right, right. And when I then started to actually talk about it, there was a little bit of this really, you shouldn't really talk about this. It's like, you you know, it's not it's shameful. But it's, yeah, it's almost like, why are you talking about women's health? Women's health really isn't given any priority within the South Asian community. and. It start, if we start the full cycle, it starts from pregnancy, right? So sex isn't discussed or talked about. When you're pregnant, you're not really supposed to show that you're pregnant. It isn't this thing that, wow, I'm pregnant. You know, you hide wow. your bump. You're very kind of, you don't kind of get anybody to look at it. It's all very kind of, uh, you know, hidden. And then, you know, you have your baby and then it's kind of like you, you've just got to get on with whatever is going on. And also then when we get to periods, A, periods aren't talked about, but B, in a lot of communities within the South Asian culture, uh, periods are dirty. Yeah. So when Mm. a woman is on her period, she's dirty, she's unclean. So you don't touch them. You don't do this. Now, I was very fortunate to be brought up by a family who, by my mom, who was like, well, if you didn't have your period, you wouldn't be able to have a baby. And then there wouldn't be this. So you know what? You need to just do you don't need to offend anybody you don't need to tell anyone you're having your period but why can't you go to a temple why can't you go to these things you know god has made you as you are if you believe in god this is you know this is you are a whole person in his eyes therefore right. go to the temple whereas a lot of uh, places you you can't you know you're stopped from going to the temple so there was all of that and then you know trying to fight this thing where i actually found that there were some asian women that i would say to them I'd be talking to them. I could see the symptoms matching up and I'd say, have you ever considered you could be perimenopausal? And it was like, oh, no, 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 no. This is something that white women get. This is not something that Indian women get because it's a disease. It's an illness. And I'm like, okay, this has really got to change. And, you know, I'll tell you the truth. You've been doing this for how long? I don't know, six or so years now. But in, in the last couple of years, I got invited to parliament to be part of, really lucky, to be part of a cross-party parliamentary inquiry into menopause. So proud to be part of that. And the minute I told my mum that that's what I was doing, she was <laughs> shouting from the rooftops and so pleased that I'd actually done it. And even now to this day, I'm an ambassador for Holland and Barrett's campaign, Every Menopause Matters, where they've done research into ethnicity and they've also done access to to menopause advice and support in different languages. So I'm super excited to be part of that campaign. But all of that started off with, you can't talk about it. Right. So it was a very, very, Claire, to be honest, a very lonely place. And sometimes it still can be. 
But I see so many more people now. You know, I've helped over 120 women with my program. I speak to so many women every day. I go into religious communities wherever they'll have me and do talks with elderly women as well as younger people, men as well as everyone. And actually it becomes a place where the joy comes from actually being able to, when you see an elderly woman who's never been able to talk about what she went through, suddenly share her story with you. And you're like, this is what it's about. You are valuable. You are valued because you are a woman. You deserve to be here. You deserve everything. You do not deserve to be dismissed because you're no longer fertile or you're, you know, any of those (laughs) things. So yeah, it's a long journey. It's still a continuous journey, but we're making headway. That is really encouraging. And obviously, you know, we here in the US spent a lot of time talking about and looking at what's been happening in the UK. And sometimes I tell people it's it's a comparison of apples to oranges given our different healthcare systems yes. and even our different government systems. And but it's been inspirational what you all have been able to do in the UK. And I think that really has motivated women around the world to be able to take up this topic. And it's certainly why we're hearing more about it in the United States and doing more things about it. So it's really fascinating the work that you've been doing. And when you think, as you said, like we're talking 10 years, 10 years ago, it would have been unheard of that this Uh conversation was happening and that you were presenting in parliament. And the same here, it would be unheard of that it would be talked about on television and written about in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. You know, that just wasn't happening before. No. So it is an exciting time. But I also feel, and I, and I wonder if you do too, we still have so much work to do as far as education Yeah, and yeah. convincing that. I feel like the, the people that we're able to touch like you, me, and the, the work that we're doing, it feels really great. And here again, and I'm sure in the UK too, there's you know many more organizations that are taking on this life stage as a focus area. And because of that, we're reaching more and more women, but it's still not mainstream and there's still so much stigma around it that yeah. there's a lot to be done. But let's focus a little bit more then again about some of those resources that are available. Mm. I saw that you created something called the Training Club. Is that part of your program on menopause or is that uh, you know for every, any type of person? Yes, it is for anybody, but predominantly it was created for the women that I'd helped. So, you know, I devised an eight-week program, which is a very holistic approach to managing your menopause symptoms. And it's actually an education it's it's lich it's about education it's about learning that actually after 8 weeks it doesn't just all stop how do i navigate my symptoms how do i know okay well i've i've got hot flushes or i'm feeling a bit this or i'm feeling a bit lethargic what do i need to do now how what is my body telling me which is exactly how i learn and you know there is also now thank goodness for women i didn't take hrt i'm not taking hrt now so that hormone replacement therapy but it is available now, you know, and there's right. so much more information on it. So actually, I always say to women, get a toolbox and have all your tools ready, whether that's HRT, whether it's education, whether it's what type of exercise you do, or whether it's what type of food or drink that you're eating. All of those things are your tools. That's what's going to help you. 
and we don't need to make things overcomplicated. So, you know, it literally is about, well, actually, why is my body changing? Well, your estrogen levels are changing. Your type of estrogen is changing. So the resources available today, they're still probably not as accessible as we would like them to be. And I think we're in agreement with that. Mm -hmm. But there are more available than they ever were. So, you know, there are, you have got large organizations. I think the only thing that worries me a little bit, and I don't know whether you, you feel this, is that there's a lot of, again, and it's inevitable, but sad, that there is a lot of commercialization around menopause now, right? So, you know, if I give you a, a menopause supplement, you're going to feel better. And we're not questioning, well, why do I need to take that supplement? What's the difference between that and something else? Do right. I even need it? Do I need to buy something for my hair which says menopause or something on a packet there's a lot of opportunity to waste your money so for me what I always say to every woman and that's why the program I designed is the way it is is start with education first yeah. and then move on from there to thinking right what changes can I make so the training club is literally an online platform so everything my program's online because it, it can be accessed anywhere in fact I do have a client uh, in America and she's in San Francisco. So it's fantastic. I love working with her. So because it's online, it's, you know, transferable everywhere. And the same with the training club. It is a space where women, it's, it's almost like personalized training. So you only get two or three, maybe five women at the most on online and it's mm -hmm. live and on demand. So actually you see somebody every single day. The thing that I've found that really, really, really helps women who are going through this stage of life is community. Yes. And that is what I've found has really helped. If I've, ha if I've ever done a program with one person on their own, because they've asked me to do an individual program, I find their, their adherence to it, their understanding of it, their enjoyment of it is very, very different to when I have a group of five or six women who suddenly build a bond and mm -hmm. They will often finish my program and stay in contact forever. Yeah, that's great. It's great. That's really interesting. And, and just for those listening, we'll make sure that we have the links to information about Mira and about the program, et cetera, in the notes for this podcast. And I completely agree with you, Mira. I'm like, I'm delighted and thrilled that there are so many companies and people focused on this. But I, too, worry, particularly here in the U.S., where one obviously capitalist society, we're all about right. making money. But part of the founding of the National Menopause Foundation was to have a completely nonprofit place where we're just providing education and community and advocacy and support. And I see it, you know, here in the US, a lot of celebrities, thankfully, are raising awareness about it. But they all have built a business connected yeah. to their journey. I'm like, well, that's the capitalist way, but also could you not do this and donate the money to a nonprofit or do something? And that's unfortunate. You know, there was a great program that Oprah Winfrey did here yeah. with wonderful experts, but even that was behind her subscriber firewall. And I was kind of shocked to say, wow, really? You couldn't make this free and available to everyone? So I think we definitely have a, a journey to kind of get more information out to people who don't have the resources to do the private consultation or have the 
the products that you need. Like you said, there's so much that can be done that doesn't cost anything. So we want to continue to sort of strive towards that. Absolutely. You have such a diverse background and have done so many things in your career. That's really fascinating. I'm wondering if you have recommendations based on your experience and some of the other work you've done in food and nutrition about how women could start to create this plan for themselves. Because many women, you were sort of motivated to do it and sort of examine your life and how things changed. And you were already clearly focused on nutrition and and fitness. For those of us who are not and should be, (laughs) what kind of recommendations do you have about starting that process? Because as you said, for all women, it changes at menopause. And the things we used to do that kept you healthy and, and active and exercising aren't working anymore. No, they don't. You're so right. And I think that's the key. You just get, you feel very lost because you're like, well, I, but I was doing this. Now I have to change. What do I change? I can't change everything. And I think the first thing that I would say definitely without a doubt is just to be, even if you're feeling lethargic and you're feeling like your joints are aching, is just to get more movement outside, walking, 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 walking is super key, number one. And number two, if you can find somewhere within your community that does some kind of strength or resistance training, you don't need to be pumping heavy weights and going into a mad gym. You literally need to provide some resistance training. Those two things put together will help to reduce your risk of osteoporosis, reduce your risk of heart disease, reduce your risk of diabetes, all of those things that we have increased risk of and also probably Alzheimer's. But also it will help with things like sleep. It will also help with the mental brain fog that we get. So, you know, it is important to get those two things in for sure. The other thing that I would say in terms of your, there's sort of two things. Another one is relaxation and some kind of mindfulness and meditation. The one thing that triggers menopause symptoms is stress a hundred percent that cortisol levels that we have those cortisol levels that are so high because we're so stressed all the time we don't even know we're stressed actually really trigger off menopause symptoms so it's so important to just try to begin your journey into mindfulness meditation or yoga and that doesn't need to be you know you don't need to spend hours you can spend two or three minutes just sitting in calm bringing your cortisol levels up. That could be combining a walk outside in nature with turning everything off and then just walking and being there. So you kind of combine the two. And then finally, really for me, it's the food and the drink. And there are definite links to an increased amount of sugar. So Mm. definitely it affects our insulin levels. It affects how our obesity levels as well, our weight but it also affects our mental clarity. So thinking about where your sugars are coming in from and changing those and really making sure that you are getting enough protein and fiber and fat into your diet as well. There are definite links between as well, things like caffeine and alcohol and temperature regulation, sleep and mental mood, brain fog. Yeah. Anxiety, all of those are linked with alcohol and caffeine. So again, just kind of observe, how do I feel when I've had a coffee? Am I okay with one coffee? Actually, I could do two and and then it tips me over or maybe I can't take this drink anymore. Just 
being observant and just making those small changes is important are, are important yeah across the board that's such good advice and it Having this point at midlife, as we sort of refer to it, be that time to take stock of our overall health and our, you know, both our mental health, our physical health, all of those things, work-life balance. It's a good time, even if you're not experiencing any symptoms. And as you said, that's not the norm. We're no. definitely experiencing symptoms, most of us, even if we don't recognize it as such. Yeah. But but yeah. taking stock of where we are and then being able to make those adjustments, it does take time to you know yes. be cognizant of what you're doing. But the benefit is so worth it. Yeah. And I know we could go on and on forever, but I do want to just get back to a little bit again about the cultural aspect of it. So yes. you mentioned that you were sort of lucky that your mom had a different perspective as far mm-hmm. as answering your questions or being supportive of it. What are some of your thoughts for women who are in cultures where it's still not talked about it and they're not getting that type of support? Do you have any recommendations about, because, you know, your stuff is on demand. Obviously we have a, you know, our website and we have an online community, but any other resources or suggestions you have for women who are in that position where it's just culturally not discussed? It's very limited and very difficult. That's the one thing I would say. I think there are, as I said, over here now, just recently now, we have Holland and Barrett, who is a health food brand uh, that have spent money and time into the research and created menopause advisors who are able to support and help in different languages. But I think it's a case of really looking at research and there just isn't an awful lot out there. Wow. You know, so you you will find again, I mean this in the in the nicest possible way, but the majority of people that you will see on the screen will either be now, you like I said you said you talked about Oprah Winfrey doing it as doing that as well and exposing, but you know, you'll see black and you'll see white, but you don't see Indians. You don't see mm-hmm. and then you'll see celebrities, but you don't see normal people everyday people. I'm more than happy if anybody ever wants to contact me at all that I would be happy to help. But there are some research articles that the British Menopause Society over here, there are a few articles that are coming out about the differences in ethnicity, how that impacts menopause and its symptoms, but it's very limited. I would say just reach out to an organization like yourself, you know, perhaps even getting translations of different symptoms checkers and things would be a start for a foundation like yourself. But yes, that really is. It's very limited. It is limited. Yeah, It's unfortunate. And you said it's, it takes a lot to be that person who's going to initiate this and put yourself out there and sort of expose yourself to things that are outside of your cultural norms, you know, and as you said, you had already sort of had some of those in your life. So it made it less hard for you to to kind of have these conversations but we find it all the time too except in the latinx community and in other asian communities it's you know, it's, a, it's not something that you're going to talk about freely but we said for all women that's the case you know yes. it wasn't something that i feel like now but even now we're in a bubble that we're talking about it yes there's other communities and rural communities both in your country and exactly. ours where I don't think those same conversations are happening. So we do need to make sure that we're providing access for all women to get this information because otherwise we're only 
supporting a very small portion of the exactly. female population. So exactly. much to be done. So what are you most excited about in your work and in what your future plans are? Do you know, I, I'm loving the fact that, let's say three years ago, I just recently did a menopause conference where I had a panel of quite amazing experts speaking and I was able to get 35 tickets that were sold, you know, in a beautiful venue. And, and two or three years ago, if I had invited anybody to a conference like that, no one would have come. And mm-hmm. actually just the fact that people are seeing me, hearing me, not because of me, but because of what I'm saying. So it's not about me. That is exciting. I think there is, you know, I hold hope now because you're not seeing celebrities so much. You are seeing the everyday people. And I think that helps. You know, we've got a fantastic lady, uh, Davina McCall over here, who has done so much along with a lot of other people as well. But a lot of the women I speak to will say, yeah, you know, that's, it's fantastic. But she doesn't look like me. You know, she doesn't have the same issues I have. So it's a little bit difficult. So that's what's desperately exciting. Having been invited to be the ambassador for Holland Barrett's Every Menopause Matters campaign, absolutely thrilling. Great. Getting that exposure. That's what's exciting, the change. You can sort of sense change, the change I wanted, which is exactly what you want, you know, where I would go voluntarily and hold workshops within local communities, within the temples or the Gurdwaras or wherever, or even if a mosque, if they would have me anywhere to get that exposure and that conversation started. That's what I can sense in the air and it feels exciting. That's good. That's really, I share your enthusiasm and your optimism for that too. I feel, I so often say here when talking about it, that I feel that menopause is having a moment and we need to make sure it turns into a movement. We need to bring about real change based on these these conversations and awareness that we're building. But I do feel we're on the cusp of that. And even that we're getting together from the US and the UK and able to talk about it, it's amazing, right? That we can share these experiences and that it's enough of a topic within our own cultures and communities that it's worth having this podcast about, I think is just fascinating. I'm so pleased to meet you, Mira. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your expertise and all of the things that that you're doing and what inspires you and encouraging women in different cultures to really break out of that taboo and have the conversation they need with a trusted friend or family member or clinician, anyone who's going to give them access to some of the the resources they need to make the journey less scary and less painful for some, you know, and do good things. So keep doing what you're doing. We're so delighted that we have experts like you to be able to tap into. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you for having me on your show and on your podcast. It's absolutely wonderful. And keep doing the work you're doing because it's fantastic. Thank you. So as I mentioned earlier, listeners will add additional information and resources about Mira and her work with the notes of this episode. So you can all learn more. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have. If you have, please subscribe to the Positive Pause podcast so you never miss an episode. And please share the information about this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks again to my wonderful guest, Mira Bogle. And thank you for listening. We hope you'll tune in to another episode of The Positive Pause.